0: Happy Friday, everybody. It is Kevin Cole here, host of Unexpected Points. This is the Friday YouTube live stream taking Q&A plus um, talking about whatever edition of the pod. I'll put this out in podcast format. You can consume it over the weekend. But if you can tune in on Friday afternoons, and I admit I'm not great about keeping a rigid schedule as our friends over the pond would say um, on Friday afternoons for when I'm going to do this. But, you know, I was a little busy today. I actually got some tennis in this afternoon. So props to your boy here working on a surf, getting up to about, uh, I don't know, I got to get, get a radar gun out there. I'm thinking 115 probably. I could probably do it. Um, but anyway, enough about my uh, athletic exploits, which are a few. Um, let's talk. NFL. Not the most eventful week, but uh this article that came out today from Mike Sando, where he goes and you know Sando's Sando's the man. In case you didn't notice, I had him on my podcast, interview podcast a few weeks back. I'd say he has the best relationships as far as getting in behind the scenes, um, talking to different executives, different relationships that he's worked, whether it's high-level coaches, executives, um, other decision makers throughout the league. He's kind of the guy there. He started the quarterback tiering articles, which at ESPN, which I think Jeremy Fowler or someone took over there, continuing on at the athletic. He has this piece now, and he he does this a lot where he he, he talks to all the different executives. He has one out, I believe, today. Uh let me see. Let, let me look at the timing on the tweets here. Yeah, he put it out today, um, where he wrote goes through all 32 teams and he has some quotes from executives about the different drafts and i love going through this because number one you can learn stuff you can get maybe a little bit better sense of feedback from the nfl on players that is not present in draft position you know i think draft position and as i've discussed here it's much better than trying to give teams credit for steals versus draft position Reaches maybe a little bit of a different deal, but we still don't know everything. We don't have every team's board. If we had every team's board, we'd have a much more complete view of what the real feedback is on all of these different prospects beyond what we're seeing on the final draft results. So, you know, any hint of that that we can get properly weighted is a good thing to see. And I also like to point out perhaps some of the flaws in the thinking from executives. And I did that here. And um, I'm going to walk through some of that there. I'm going to talk Lamar's contract. I think I'm actually going to do that first because that was that went down before the draft. And I don't believe I ever talked about it on this podcast. So I want to do that at least quickly, um, relatively quickly first. Then we'll talk through this article. Then we'll go Q&A. So I'll put it in the chat here right now. Uh, yeah, let's just say leave Q&A here for anyone. Um for, for anyone that happens to be a oh, whoops, I did the wrong thing. I left in the private chat on StreamYard rather than in the actual comments on YouTube. Okay. This is much better. So leave it here. And then I'll get to those at the end. Okay. Um, but I can't go too long though. Today, soccer practice, Friday night, soccer practice. Don't ask me why for, for my youngest um, youngest is an athlete. It's so weird how these kids can be so different. My oldest bookworm, Like math guy, not physical at all. If we only had one kid, I would think I had the worst um, genes on the planet when it comes to athleticism. I would have started questioning my own athleticism. And then our second is like Mr. Athlete and everything, Uh, doing track and field, winning everything there and, you know, soccer and other stuff. So anyway, you got soccer practice tonight. So got dad duty. I'll eventually have to go to. But before that, let's let's get into all this stuff. So I have... um, I put out a a, kind of a tweet thread about this article, again, the Sando article. Um, I'll go ahead and bring up the article itself so you can see it because this is just – it's great work from uh, Sando. Yeah, I stole the image here for for this YouTube here. So the article right here, NFL Draft 2023, executives unfiltered on all 32 classes. Eagles overrated. I kind of like that. I'm actually with big NFL a little bit on that one and some other things here. So it goes through every single team. Okay. But I think I'm going to go back to my tweet thread about this only because um, it highlights what I wanted to talk about on this. So first off, and this is one you see your boy is getting, your boy is kind of getting a little, a little hammered on the quote tweets here. 32 quote tweets to seven retweets. It's not a perfect game. Like I did the other day where I think I had something like 15 quote tweets to zero retweets, but you know, some some of the less fortunate out there when it comes to probabilistic thinking and understanding positional value have picked this up and decided to dunk on it. So dunk away, my friends. I, I'm going to lean into some of these Twitter beefs instead of leaning out as I have in, in the past. And I'm going to try to do this today. But so here's the quote here um, for those who didn't see it. So it's talking about Bijan and it's talking about the Atlanta Falcons. okay. And the quote from the executive on this one is, Everyone selected below Bijan probably has fewer first-round grades amongst the 32 teams than Bijan did. Would you rather have a guy at a non-premium position that you feel confident being top three at that position, or a guy that is just going to be okay or carry greater risk? The goal is to draft good players first and foremost. Okay. So my response to this, and again, it might be something you could interpret incorrectly. And I see 39 people on the quote tweets and many people in the replies uh, have, have chosen to interpret this incorrectly. But I think this, this executive quote kind of wraps it all up. So my point on this here was as an illustration of why positional value still hasn't fully, isn't fully appreciated in the draft, and it's, it's also reflected in, like, the one-size-fits-all big boards. You know, I complain about big boards. I did a piece myself where I took big board. I took grading from SIS Sports Info Solutions, wrapped it into um, contract values, and then tried to do my own kind of big board with contract values in here. So this is the part that people are, are taking taking umbrage with i don't know if umbrage is the correct word but it's the point that people are are, are trying to distort and get out there and again it, it feeds right into the incorrect thinking when it comes to positional value i say the goal is not to draft good players is to win games or better yet build a team with a championship talent so of course people want to pick out that thing and they say the goal isn't to draft good players oh you oh you gotta draft good players good players what else is gonna make you good what's gonna make you a championship team what's gonna blah 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 um so But I think my point is exactly correct. I mean, maybe I'm giving myself too much credit here. But again, when you go to this guy's quote, he says the goal is to draft good players, first and foremost, and that is their positioning against the positional value argument. Against the positional value argument, they're saying, well, first, you got to draft good players. You know, would you rather draft a guy who's just going to be okay or a great player at the position? And there's a couple different mistakes there. So number one, like I said, and I still believe it's true your ultimate goal is not to draft good players. It's just, that's looking at success rate. That's looking at that. That's, that is like the argument against positional value. That's exactly what people are thinking. People are thinking, Hey, Bijan Robinson, great player. Um, the tackle that we could have gotten there, Skronsky or Wright or whoever we could have gotten in that area. Um, not great player. Therefore we draft Bijan first, Two different problems with that. Number one, of course, positions have different values. Uh, if you're going to say like the Chiefs versus the Eagles, let's think about that as uh, in the Super Bowl. Who, If you're going to line up every single player on each team at their respective positions and say, who has the better player at all these different positions? Eagles are going to win. Hand down, if you're just counting. one, just kind of Give me one point for every single thing there, right? Uh, but the Chiefs probably have the two most valuable players in Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey uh, you know relative to their positions in the NFL that's why they win the Bills probably have better players if you if you take it if you look at all the different players there maybe the Bengals have better players maybe the 49ers have better players if Mahomes is just getting one point for being better than you know Brock Purdy or whoever there but the Chiefs win the Super Bowl And the reason they do is because, again, the goal is not to have the most good players. That's not the goal. It's an indisputable point. People can try to dunk on it all they want. That is not the goal. The goal is to win games. The goal is to have an overall team that has the highest upside, the most championship potential. You don't get that by just having... the the highest number of good or great players on your team. That's not enough. You have to have the right values, the right players in the right positions and the most value in total. And certain positions, running back not being one of them, again, this was in discussion of the Bijan pick, running back being one of them, even having an elite player is not going to give you the most overall value versus having a very good player at another position that's just the way it is. So when you're when you're maximizing for will this player be good or not in your draft selection, you're doing it wrong. That's the whole that's the whole positional value fallacy, not not being part of the positional value fallacy in the NFL. The second part of this and this goes into some of the like pushback that I was getting on this. Maybe I could even bring up some of this although I'm loathe to kind of get into you know too much of like what was going on on twitter um how can i even find what was going on here yeah there was there was some pushback but i think it was perfectly illustrated actually i think the reasons the reason that i'm getting a decent amount of flack for this is this theo ash guy do you guys know who this is i'm not sure who this is he has 63,000 followers but he has like a shit ton of tiktok people tiktok so i'm, I'm getting i'm getting hit by the tiktok The TikTok crew, do you guys have any idea who this guy is? Theo Ash, TikTok. I remember when I was at PFF, they were like, hey, we need to, you know, do some TikToks. (laughs) I'll die before I put out a TikTok, okay? (laughs) Before I put out an NFL TikTok. No offense. I'm sure, you know, you want me to do some like dance moves or something in there? Yeah, maybe you can do that. Maybe that works. Maybe little video clips or whatever will work in there. Um, But I'm not going to do anything I don't consume. and I sure as hell ain't consuming uh, TikTok. Oh, I'm sure someone in the comments saying he's a cool dude, but very snarky. Yeah, I'm sure he is a cool dude, but you know whatever. He's wrong here. Um, again, it's a. He's kind of missing the whole point here. He's even trying to come back at me. Lots of teams probably have more talent than the Chiefs. No, no, no. I said lots of teams probably have more good players than the Chiefs. That's my that th- that's my whole point. Does he not like like? I, first of all, he's actually even quoting, and he's saying. Lots of teams have more talent than the Chiefs. I didn't say lots of teams have more talent. I said the Eagles had more good players. See, that's exactly it. Lots of teams probably do. Like, at least quote me correctly here, buddy. Uh, but anyway, so the, the point here uh, from, from, from what was going on in this, in this Theo Ash uh, thing here is that um, when he was coming back here, and this, this, is, this is the second point of what happens, when, what goes wrong in positional value, right? Um is this part here that he comes back on, he says. But a good running back is more valuable than a bad tackle. So this is the second part of it, is probabilistic thinking. That's the, that's the problem. It's probabilistic thinking. We don't know on our evaluations. We don't know B. John Robinson is even going to be good. I mean, he probably will be good. Hit rates at running back are higher in the first round. Uh, primarily because you can, like, turn around and hand them the ball. It's kind of hard to not be productive when that's the case. But even so, like, within positions, you know, Bijan's probably going to be good. So he's saying, is it better to then have a bad tackle? Well, the problem is there is no such thing as, like, bad tackle, good tackle. We know for sure at any point in the draft, especially not the first round. Yeah, I get it. Is, would you rather have B. John Robinson or the 34th tackle pro- prospect? Yeah, I'd rather have B. John Robinson. Like, I, 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 I put that into my analysis that I went together. I said, I thought maybe the end of the first round, beginning of the second round was a decent place for him. You know, it's after maybe five, six tackle prospects, but it's not after 15 tackle prospects. That is part of the analysis here. But the thing is, we don't know any prospects going to be bad because someone's median in outcome their most most likely outcome is lower, it doesn't mean that is going to be the outcome or else what's the point? There'd be no busts in the first round of the draft and then there'd be all busts at the end of the draft. Everything you have to look at probabilistically, probabilistic thinking, that's the other big problem with this. For a lot of people, it's good player Bijan versus mediocre player. Which one would you rather have? Well, the problem is we don't know anyone is going to be a mediocre player, especially not a first-round draft pick. Hit rates are lower, but it's talking about a difference on the margins. We're talking about running backs in the top 15 who are probably successful 60% of the time, 65% of the time, versus a tackle who is successful 45% of the time. Does that mean you always take the running back? No it's a similar sort of thing when it even comes to like passing the ball versus running the ball. Why are teams so enamored with running the ball? And they have been for so long before eventually we're getting further and further towards passing the ball. Same thing with two pointers versus three pointers in the NBA. It's looking at success rates and how that feels or the likelihood of success versus what is actually more valuable, you know, running Plays have about the same success rate. Sometimes, in certain situations, higher success rates than than, uh, passing plays. But that doesn't mean they're more valuable. Two-pointers in the NBA obviously have higher success rates, in other words, making it, than three-pointers. But it doesn't mean they're more valuable. Success rates are part of it, but it's about probabilistic thinking. So what I would ask Theo and everyone else out there what I would ask them to do, and this is also, I think, what's really interesting part of um, of a lot of this discussion is, we're all talking about making predictions, right? So um, I'm going to go ahead and bring up the the book that you know all these people should really be looking at, and that is Superforecasting. If any of you have not read Superforecasting, I suggest you do it. At least go and read some reviews about it, or or see some interviews from Philip Tetlock, who's on there. Uh, Dan Gardner's the other author on there, and again, like we have the ability to study like who makes the best predictions. Okay, this is what this book did. It said let's look at you know experts making predictions versus other people and what makes people good at at, at making predictions or not. And largely, what what they found in this book is number one, experts are the worst at making predictions. Why? And this is a bias of like expert bias is they overvalue their own knowledge and they're overconfident for it. For instance, one of the things they mentioned about is like people who are experts on uh, global, geo-global like war and um, international relations were way off and were predicting war and things like that at a much higher rate than what they actually happened. I mean, number one, they're probably incentivized to be more like that. You know, or else they, that makes it more exciting what their commentary is. But number two is they look at their specific knowledge in a particular area and they get very, very overconfident. And they overweight it rather than just looking at base rates. That's another thing that Philip Tetlock and the authors of Super Forecasting found is having respect for base rates. So having respect of saying on the average, this is what we think is going to happen and then deviating slightly off of that for your opinion is is very important rather than making your entire decision about this piece of knowledge that you have. Let's think about fourth downs. It's like the whole thing of, oh, my, my, my left guard is getting his ass kicked today, so I'm not going to go for it on fourth down. You're overweighting that piece of knowledge you have versus the much higher base rate of how successful you'll be. Yeah, you should deviate slightly off of that base rate, but the base rate is much, much more important. That's what Forecasters seem to know. They're also people who are super forecasters. People who are really good at making predictions in different areas, are good at predictions in all different types of area. If, you're, if you think probabilistically, if you respect base rates, if you're someone who researches and is, has humble, um, has intellectual humility about different areas, you can go into almost any area and be better at making predictions than experts in that area. So the probabilistic thinking. I would suggest, you know, Theo and others out there, go ahead, read Super forecasting, You'll learn a little bit about how we have to look at this thing probabilistically rather than just saying Bijan better, therefore we know these other guys are going to be worse in the NFL. We definitely, definitely, definitely do not know that that is going to be the case. But anyway, getting back to um, getting getting back to this thread, I had and the other different quotes that are in here. There's some good ones. Um, I thought they had an interesting point here, which I agree with on the Denver Broncos when talking about Sean Payton and it, I, I didn't actually clip the one move, but the trade up for jo not Josh Downs for Marvin Mims, where they traded a future third rounder for the right to move up from the fourth to the third round to draft Mims not a big fan of that for the Broncos who don't have a lot of picks. And the last point here, when I mentioned these other moves where they were trading around and doing other things and getting former players there, it says everything they do now feels coach driven. And yeah, I'm kind of starting to get a little bit of that feeling too. And it's a little concerning. I mean, one of my most popular articles, I think the second most popular article I wrote was a first round pick uh, so far on the site is for Sean Payton is a steal. Now I was talking about coaching wise. If he starts being an executive, yeah, I, I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit wor- uh, worried about that. Another interesting one was talking about Houston and what they did to trade up in this, in this draft. So, you know, we know what they did to trade up here. We know about the uh, trade up from the 49ers for three first round picks in a third. But I, what I didn't realize is, the last time we had this exact move that the Texans made, so a, a, a trade from 12 to 3 for a non-quarterback, the last time we had that happen was when Miami did it for Deion Jordan. How did that work out? Um, and all they traded was the 42nd pick. Now, this was a, a draft bereft of quarterbacks, but they're making the same. They're not trading up for a quarterback. So, like, did Houston really pay this ultra-premium because there were other quarterbacks still left in this? I guess it's mostly Anthony Richardson because Will Levis didn't end up going until the second round. Uh, Hendon Hooker didn't end up going until the third round. So back then in 2013, same rookie wage scale, basically, uh, coming after 2011, the Dolphins were able to get up from 12 to three for just the 42nd overall pick. So an early-ish second round pick. That's all it took. The Texans traded... 33 overall in this draft. They traded next year's first and next year's third. All of that for a position player. I mean, I think Will Anderson's a better player, all that sort of stuff, but not that much better. I mean, that's kind of like an insane differential in, in trade-up cost. And then on top of that, I think there's also some bad thinking. And, but maybe this is actually part of the of the Texans' thinking when it comes to uh like why they're okay with getting rid of future picks and let me make sure i'm going to get it here okay why they're why they're able to why they're okay getting rid of future picks is it's a combination of a couple of different things one we have the principal agent problem so they mentioned here right here one of the things I don't. think One executive's talking about here. He says, "I don't know if their GM survives a really bad year and is making picks next year anyway." Yeah, that might that might be true. So, like this this huge trade up that they made for Will Anderson, like that's not going to hurt them this season, right? It's not going to hurt them retaining their jobs necessarily. I mean, it might hurt a little bit because the player they could have gotten at thirty three and twelve might actually have been better even for this season, but it's not going to hurt them a ton. It's going to hurt them a ton next year, the year after, the year after that. So principal agent problem. Principal agent problem for those who don't know is the principal in this circumstance is the one who really cares about the longer term health and ownership of something. It would be ownership and probably the fans, I guess. And the agent here is tasked with maximizing the value for, for this enterprise, but... They have their own concerns and they have their own wants and their own incentives. And in this case, it's like, you're not going to be there next year anyway. So, so why do that? So there's that, which I thought was a little bit weird. And then another part when he's talking about this is whether or not they'll have an opportunity next year um, to like, like they already have CJ Stroud. So what do they need? The pick. Uh, let me see. Where, where's the quote about that? I know there's a quote in here on this one. Um, here we go. So it says here, my guess is they were split between two players. Oh, Actually, no, wait, that's not that's not the, the pick. Um. Anyway, there was another quote in here. I can't find it right this moment, but it's basically saying, hey, you know, if they're really bad and they survive, they already got their quarterback, so they don't need a quarterback next year anyway. If you're the Texans, so who cares? But the thing is, if they're really, really bad, they might have a very, very valuable pick they can trade away. I mean, the Titans trade away to the number one pick in 2016 after drafting Marcus Mariota. Or you could, if CJ Stroud really, really stinks, you know, I'll be out in the streets saying they should draft another quarterback and think about it, at least, um, if it's Caleb Williams or someone like that. So another issue there when it comes to being able to interpret these things by executives. Um, what else is a good thing from this article? Okay. I mentioned the Sean Payne thing. I mentioned that. Oh, this is another one where I'm going to call this the, um, I don't know. I don't know what this bias is called. I'm going to call it the found money bias where it says teams flush with picks might sometimes become freer with their spending. And they're talking about it here again, in relation to the Texans being willing to trade up, but it happened also, I think even with the Cardinals, because the Cardinals traded down. They got this this like free money, kind of, um, and then they went and traded up from 12 to 6. So, hey, they were like, we got all this free stuff, now we can trade up from 12 to 6. Now, at 12, they would have gotten another tackle at 12. They would have gotten one of the top tackles. It would have been the exact guy they wanted, but was it worth trading up in order to get the exact guy they wanted? Maybe. But again, I think it was a little bit of this found money bias, and that's a huge thing in drafts. Um, as they mentioned, Miami did that before, and... I don't know, even if you even if you have some found money, even if teams give you picks, I don't think there's any team in the NFL that's like, we got too many picks. We can't do this. We have too many high value picks. We need to consolidate these. Um, all these teams that are consolidating their picks, thinking about that a year or two or further down the line, they're going to be wishing that they had more um, more picks to have more shots at elite talent at premium positions. Okay. Let's talk um, let's talk Lamar contract. There's, let me see if the details are at OTC yet. The thing okay, here's my big picture thing on Lamar contract. Big picture Lamar contract story that I'm going on here is, why couldn't this have just been done a year ago? Why couldn't this have just been done earlier this offseason? Uh, I think the timing is pretty interesting because it seems like Lamar saw what Jalen Hurts got. Uh, Hurts is not getting as much upfront money, but then again, he didn't have nearly as much leverage to get upfront money because he was on a rookie deal where I think he was going to make $2.5 million next year versus Lamar being on the franchise tag where he's going to make 30 million. So he's getting cash of something like $70 million in year one versus Jalen hurts getting cash of 26 million or something like that. So he had a lot more leverage in that regard. Mm -hmm. And he was able to get that because no remaining years on the contract, other than the high franchise tag, but everything else kind of seems like he could have done it earlier. So it's really weird how the Jalen hurts contract seems to potentially at least set a number that Lamar was comfortable with just going on top of it. Now, My other theory is that, and this, I was even talking about the fact that, hey, maybe the Ravens look at a quarterback in the draft. It's possible. My other theory is the timing might not be coincidental that Lamar signed this deal right before the draft started, essentially eliminating the chance that any of that could happen. And he was willing to get it done pretty quickly. I think it was something like four days between the Jalen Hurts contract and Lamar Jackson announcement. That could be part of it because from Lamar Jackson's perspective, why sign it now, this deal, which I don't think is going to be pulled off of the table, why sign it now instead of waiting until, I guess it's mid-July, when is the deadline for doing doing a, a deal if you're on the franchise tag? Why not just wait? What if Joe Burrow signs in the meantime? It's $60 million a year probably not going to be 60, $57 million a year. Or Justin Herbert signs at $56, $58 million a year. Sounds like a good spot to be in if you're Lamar Jackson is to wait until after that. So maybe there was some timing because of the draft. Maybe Lamar saw that there wasn't any serious consideration of anyone else trading for him. Maybe this is actually what it took, this feedback from the rest of the NFL that he was able to get via the franchise tag, via the non-exclusive franchise tag, getting that feedback actually pushed them towards being willing to make a deal. Um, you know, Kudos to um, the Ravens and Eric DaCosta there. I think they played this out really, really well um, and got a contract that they would have been willing to do from the very beginning, I think, or been willing to do a year ago. I mean, it's a big deal. It's the new record, all that stuff, but paying Lamar Jackson on an annual basis, um, the same amount that he's, um, the same amount you're paying Jalen Hurts, that sounds that. Sign me up, sign me up for that one. So congratulations to the Ravens on that. And that's my quick little take here on Lamar Jackson contract All right, let's get to the q a again if you are watching live on youtube in the comments go ahead tag i a i'll look through some of the other comments to make sure that i'm not missing anything here and then um we'll blaze through and try to try to answer these before i get out of here soccer practice but uh, but i got some time i guess got, got some time here uh lord jamone here thank you for enjoying the show i appreciate the different perspectives thank you you know some people on twitter don't seem to appreciate the different perspectives that's interesting there uh, what else we got here in the comments before i get to questions Theo's a pretty cool dude, but very snarky. Yeah, I'm sure he is. I'm sure he's a good guy. You know, if I saw him in person, I'm sure he should be a great guy. But yeah, I don't get like, I especially don't get the quote tweets where I think he just put like, what or something as a quote tweet. And then, you know, it likes it, it, the people who follow him. He's got a lot of trollish people following him. It seems like, because, because like, what it's not constructive. That's not constructive. I'm willing to have a constructive conversation. Let's do it. Okay q a these q a's are always so big i gotta like raise my head up or else i'm getting warmed again. getting swarmed by the q a on the screen here on youtube uh seahawks fan here they traded their third round pick for a future third and fourth from the broncos in this past draft i think this is the exact marvin mims trade that i was talking about earlier is it just me or is that trade incredible value how bad of a trade was this for denver oh yeah no it's just not it's not just you it's definitely not just you. This was one of the worst trades of the entire draft. Um, if you go by surplus value, let me go ahead and, and look at this here. Because, well, let's see, where was MIMS drafted? So let's go MIMS draft. Uh, make sure I can figure out exact. So I'm going to figure out the exact pick here before I make. So he was pick... Um, second round, 32. Was that the pick or am I thinking about a different pick here? Maybe it was 32. Did they move up from the third? Was that what it was? Maybe I had it incorrect about them moving from the fourth to the third. They moved up for him though, right? Okay, trade up. Let me just do Marvin Mims just to make sure I got the right here. Um, Oh, no, I'm thinking of a different one. I guess this is a different trade that they made. So let's get – it was not the Mims trade. Sorry, I I, I impugned uh, the the Mims trade up, which was – Smaller, but still, why are you doing this? Um, draft trades. There was a good one at CBS where it had like every single draft tracker trade. Okay, here we go. So let's go for the Broncos. Yeah, yeah, that was the wrong one. Um, where's the Broncos one here? Do I have the right What am I looking at here? Who, who are they trading up for for this pick? But anyway, yeah, that that one is Sorry, I'm going to have to I got to get my good trade data here. Uh trades. Okay. We'll look at this one here. Yeah, I think there were a few different Broncos trades here that that got Okay, can I find this? All right, I'm having I'm having difficulty finding this thing here unfortunately okay it says it says trade draft trade tracker but I don't see this exact trade uh hold on let me look back in the comments so I can figure out who are they trading up for as part of this one um okay I see the Marvin Mims. so they got 63 for trading 68 and then they flipped 139 for 183 that's fine um Riley Moss. They moved up 108. Okay, this is one. Okay, this is the one I was talking about. So it was actually Riley Moss. It was not that they were trading up for. It was not Marvin Mims. So this one is god-awful. So they got, oh yeah, so, so they traded up to 83rd and they gave up 108. So the difference between 83 and 108 in surplus value um 83 in surplus value is worth 1.65 percent of the cap per season so if you think about that in money what's the cap right now 100 and 238 or something like that so it's well let's just look at the percentage so we can figure out so it's 1.65 and then 108 is 1.23 so it's point 4% 4% surplus value. If you multiply that by four, you assume it's over the course. So it's 1.6% of surplus value is what you're losing. And you gave up a 2024 third round pick. So a third round pick, if it happens in the middle of the round, that is pick 80. So so again, so they gained 0. 0.4 on trading up. What they're going to give up next year is going to be 1.7. 1.7. 1.7 versus 0. 0.4. Now you want to discount that by 20%. That's fine. But you got to discount that for it to be equal. You'd have to discount that value a year out by 75%, more than 75% for it to be an equal trade. So yeah, that was disaster trade. That was the one that I was talking about with the Broncos as being the super, super duper disaster trade. And yeah, the Seahawks really, really uh, cleaned them out on that one. Um. Okay. Is there a General metric or composite key for deciding how to balance draft capital and position. Surplus contract value, position war, average hit rate, et cetera. I mean, I would say the best way to do it, and I, I didn't do this in the article. I just looked straight up at the grading and what they're assuming the player is going to be. But it would be range of outcomes for the player, probabilistic range of outcomes for the player based on historically what's happened um, with input, of course, to the specifics of these players. Range of outcome, dollar value on what that type of player is worth on the free market or in the second contract market, discounts applied as to how quickly or slowly the position gets up to speed. Running backs do get up to speed really fast in year one versus tight ends taking you know a year or two. So that would be part of it. And then just calculating out what your mean surplus value is by multiplying what the surplus value would be in all of these different probabilistic outcomes. Now, then you have one number you can go off of. So that would be like the one holy grail number. But at the same point in time, I think it's important to also look at and maybe give more credit to elite type of outcomes where you can really hit home runs. And again, for running backs, you're just not really going to hit a true grand slam like you would be on a tackle who hits. Or an edge rusher who hits as far as the surplus value you're going to get on them. So you probably give even more credit to that. So the mean values are probably going to be higher. The probabilistic surplus value mean values are probably going to be higher for an elite position. Uh, But you might even want to give additional credit for your ability to really hit things out of the park. Because if you do that a few times, um, then you really got that championship sort sort of upside there. Okay. Q and feel like people are using six game sample of a player who was not played in two years to gauge for Watson's future success while ignoring his 53 game sample prior to relating to Watson. Um, Andrew Barry avatar. Interesting question that you would have about the Browns there. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, n- no doubt. Um, I mean, I, I, I've been on this podcast plenty of times with the Watson thing. I wasn't a fan of the signing. I think he's probably, he's guilty of sin when it comes to a lot of this stuff, but as a football player, he's probably going to be able to look past it. I don't think he's getting a lot of grief about it. It doesn't seem like the players care about it really at all, um, or at least they're not vocal about it. And he's a damn good quarterback. I mean, coming out of 2020, he was the second guy to Mahomes. Some people thought he was even Mahomes adjacent coming out of that sort of, sort of situation. Allen had a great year, but, you know, that was one breakout year. And Watson might have even still been better in 2020. Uh, Herbert hadn't emerged. Joe Burrow hadn't emerged. So uh, Aaron Rodgers hadn't made his comeback, you know, his back-to-back MVPs comeback at that point. I guess he got one MVP that year. Uh, But people were still, you know, Watson was right there. So yeah, I do think the Browns have a lot more upside than some people may may be thinking. And again, if you look at it probabilistically, at least we know he has a ceiling. Like we, we don't, like when you look at other guys, like a car or a... Cousins, um, or other people in the division, like a Picket. I'm not even sure about the ceiling. Well, we'll still wait and see on someone like him. But you know, Watson's ceiling is right there with him. And Mike Sando's quarterback tiers. You know, he had 30 out of 50 executives calling him a tier one quarterback, way more than we ever saw for for Lamar Jackson. Uh, what did you say here? Once I obtain billionaire status, I'll buy the Jaguars and have GM and head coaching positions ran by AI. <laughs> less emotional mistakes and all decisions could be justified yeah i don't know if you want ai running it there i think that's a good check um this ai ai thing is kind of overhyped if you want my ai take as far as being able to take over the world like chat gpt and gpt4 and all this sort of stuff just because something seems human-like doesn't mean it's intelligent these things are not intelligent they're not like that intelligent. I mean they could already beat the beat the pants off of us when it comes to chess and other stuff. That's a lot more complicated honestly than some of this stuff. Um speaking of the Jaguars there's a certain member of the uh Jaguar ownership family who uh, subscribed to the pod the other I mean subscribed to the uh Substack the other day. So props to me on that. Um says Lamar Jackson said he accepted the same day it was sent by DeCosta. Yeah, Lamar Jackson just like signing it and going <laughs> The whole agent thing probably helped as far as how fast that was, but I think it did hurt uh, before this. Um, Let me see. What else we got going in here? Kind of asked this earlier, but how much did you weigh your team's scouting versus consensus? I don't know. I mean, I think it's pretty important. I think you have to look, of course, as to what consensus Kate can be missing, but I do think it's interesting that these teams, it sounds like a faulty process to me that teams... Go into the draft all saying that they have 16 players on their board for a first round. That's it. And they all get a first rounder somehow. Right? It's like something's wrong. Something can't be right. So I do think on the outside consensus, it would be interesting. I mean, it would be interesting in a way, maybe you don't have to go for like outside consensus. Like you're getting dudes on Twitter who are like breaking down film. They're probably doing a fine job, but that might not be like, you might not want to just go straight consensus, big board, but some of that would be helpful. Um, but you know, maybe even you just do like contract work, just get a bunch of contractors to like do some analysis on guys and get more of a wisdom of crowds there. Um, uh, what I saw was an interesting idea As they talk about like the scouts doing the scouting and then the nerds coming in and adjusting the board. <laughs> they ain't ready for that though. In scouting, uh, let me tell you, they're not going to want to put in and like not see their families for four months. And then they're like, Bijan's our number five graded guy. And then the nerds come in and move it to 25. They're not going to like that. I even got feedback from someone who works for an NFL team when I tweeted that out saying, yeah, that's pretty much the case. (laughs) They don't like us if we're going to move stuff around like that. So that's also part of the problem when it comes to scouting and other stuff. It's like, if they say, we think this player is going to be a pro bowler and then you draft a player who they said their most likely outcome is going to be a a decent starter. You know, not going to be happy with that. Not going to be happy at all. Okay. Trevor here, Q and a less specific, to this session. Okay, that's fine. But much of the current methodology and analytics is tree-based or linear regression. Do you see more recent ML developments becoming relevant? Yeah, I think tracking data really just requires some bigger stuff. So there are a lot of neural net sort of stuff being built into it. To, to be quite honest, I haven't really even gotten into that stuff. I mean, I'm more of a state of a holiday in express data scientist and like a true data scientist. I was a finance guy have my cfa but you know that doesn't require like programming or anything it just requires having decent analytical and math skills and so i did some like quantitative ish work but i was no by no means a quant in doing finance so i haven't really gotten into the neural net type of stuff because i just haven't seen the need to for the type of work i do but i think when it comes to bigger data sets stuff that we're just not seeing out here as much but if you want to look at big data bull submissions Based upon tracking data, I think you'll see it in there. Um, I think you'll see other stuff. I mean, but I, I stick with the tree-based and the linear stuff because, you know, it's all just a, a helping us make better decisions as opposed to having the perfect answer anyway. Um, okay. We just have one last comment here. Uh, GPT-4 is also not human-like. I've spent the past week grading philosophy papers. very much clear which ones are written by machines because they suck. Yeah, I think that's true i think that's very true someone shared a video the other day where they had a a like avatar attached to answers from gpt4 i mean not to mention that the mouth didn't quite move correctly but someone someone commented oh this is the scariest thing i've ever seen i was like this doesn't this just seems like a really bad uh, like when you go on a website and you have a chat and like a really bad chat like it was way too wordy it was not colloquial at all like the talk um yeah, I'm not worried about it. This is, it's like the self-driving car thing, which reminds me how my wife, um, who, who's doing podcasting, I think at the time she was with Planet Money, I want to say. Or she might've been with um, Gimlet, where she was looking. I'm Actually, it might've been when she was working for Gimlet and she was with this uh, podcast called Startup. And she was looking at self-driving cars and everything that was going in there. Um, a lot of hype cycle was going on at this point in time. I don't, I don't remember when it was. Five six years ago, maybe, um, and she came out of the thing and she was like, "These this is not going to work. Like this is this is this is going to take forever compared to what they're saying it's going to take on it." And I, I'm feeling very similar about the whole AI uh, uh, cycle uh, stuff right now. Uh, anyway, I think that's it for me. I'm going to get out of here after about 45 minutes. I appreciate everyone tuning in. I'll try to go a little bit earlier on Fridays when I do these in the future. I know this was a little bit late compared to earlier um, four o'clock, but you know, the schedule didn't quite match up, but I I'm glad everyone wants to, to jump in and and get to this. Oh, so it's funny because I don't want coach GPT making philosophical decisions. We do need a random play selector though. What do you think about that? Like what it's, it's one of those things where like, if you ask, you know, you're trying to like mix up your play calls, maybe right? You're trying to mix up your play calls, but people are really, really bad at mimicking randomness. So I do think that would be interesting to have like a random play selector, throw something at you. Uh, if you're a coach and then no one could like figure out your tendencies again. Uh, but anyway, sorry, I, let me do my outro here. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll talk to you more out there next week. I got uh, Herms Myers coming back. He's like Mr. Negativity on the NFL and analytics. So I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to have uh Ben Baldwin on the following week where we're going to go and rank GMs and rank front offices. That's always a fun exercise that the saints fans hate and uh, a lot of good stuff coming in the off season. I'm, I'm going to do some like non football interviews too. I think I'm going to talk to Ryan O'Hanlon who wrote a great soccer analytics book. I'm going to try to talk to this other guy. Um, What's his name? Luke Burgess, who wrote a book about mimetic desire and different things there. And he's a big sports fan. So I've had some conversations with him. So we're going to talk about that and kind of how that can be applied to the NFL and other things and a lot of other things and a lot of research and other podcasts on the way. Thanks everyone for tuning in. I'll be talking at you guys next week. In the meantime, of course, go to the Substack, .substack unexpectedpoints.substack.com and sign up there and more research will be on the way. (laughs)